want to welcome you again, and I want to welcome you that are watching us online. I often forget that, and I want to mention that because I've received some, I've received regular um, uh, communication from some of you who watch online for whatever reason, and maybe you don't have power at your house, and you're on your, you're, you're using your power on your phone to watch us. You made a good decision, and we'll pray that your power comes on, and uh, we're glad to be warm and to have light and sound and such here. Uh, isn't it interesting how we take uh, that for granted until we don't have it for like three days and the whole house gets cold. Anyway, so we're grateful for the things the Lord has given to us. So we want to welcome those that are watching online, those of you that are here in person. Got a note this week from a woman named Latoya who watches online, lives in Canton, and, and, uh, and has watches every week, uh, also has a church home of her own where she goes regularly, but God has uh, been at work in her life and delivered her from some besetting sins that were very difficult and very painful and, and very damaging to her family, and the Lord's delivered her, and, and she wrote this week, we corresponded a little bit, so we are just thrilled about that when you think about it. I just want to rem remind you, thank you for those of you who help make the online ministry work and for those of you who support that because it, it is significant. We have some, their family circumstances and their work circumstances make uh, regular attendance on Sunday morning difficult. Uh, and, um, and yet they'll be here every time we have a men's meeting and they watch all the sermons online. They talk about them. So just an interesting time. We, we, we think... Um, that if you can be with God's people on the Lord's Day, you should gather physically. Um, but of course, obviously, we're super happy to know that we have uh, also an, a bit of an online audience of people that we can help. And, and we just ask the Lord's blessing on those that are gathered in the church today and those of you who are watching online. And we've been praying, but I'd like to ask the Lord again, that, you know, we, we are aware uh, in, our, in our time. Have you noticed uh, God often will go where he's invited. He is present everywhere, but he often manifests himself in power where he's invited, where he's expected, where he's honored. Uh, you know that some students in Kentucky prayed that God would especially manifest himself to them not too long ago, and in a historic way he's done that. And the awakening there at Asbury University uh, and other universities as well in a different scale and churches has been remarkable. And if you're a skeptic, I just feel bad for you. I'll pray for you. I'm, I'm always happy when people pray a lot. I always feel happy when people read the Bible a lot. I'm a pastor. That's how I roll. You know, when people confess their sin, I feel happy about that. If they're a little over-enthusiastic, I'm sort of an enthusiastic person, so that doesn't bother me that much. It really doesn't. Should we be discerning? Of course we should be discerning, but let me rejoice first, if you don't mind. And uh, if people are repenting of sin, and they're, they're seeking the Lord, and they're wanting to have worship services that are longer than football games that go into overtime, I'm for that, you know? And, and I would welcome the Lord's work in my family, in my life, in this church, would you? Would you breathe a prayer? 
asking the Lord to work in your life right now, would you breathe a prayer with me, asking the Lord to meet with us, to show us anything that's not pleasing to him, to encourage us where we need it, to embolden us where we need it, uh, to, uh, to remind us of what we need to be reminded of. Do you long for awakening? You should. So let's, let's ask the Lord. Let's welcome him. I know it's been a long, hard week for some of you. And even last night, I know some of you up through the night, and um, God sees that you're seeking him today. And uh, so let's pray. pray. Join with me in prayer. As a matter of fact, let's do it this way. I'm sorry. Uh, pray with somebody you're sitting with. You want to do that? Just lean together and just go ahead and pray out loud. We don't have to have a big, loud, cacophonous racket, but go ahead and pray out loud. And, uh, and with somebody that if you feel comfortable doing that, lean, lean your head over to them and just have a time of prayer there for a minute and we'll be quiet or pray silently if that's what you prefer. Uh, spend a little bit of time in prayer inviting the Lord's special presence in our service today and his work in your life. And then I'll close in prayer and continue in our message. God in heaven, sometimes people say that seeking the Lord is just for old people. And I thank you that it is for old people. And I thank you that, Lord, that when we've spent many years on this planet, you still love us and value us and you still hear our prayers. But I also want to thank you that young people are still seeking you and that they're crying out to you and that they're asking forgiveness, that they're forgiving one another. Thank you for the work that you did among our own young people, that they would be tenderhearted to you and want to forgive those who've hurt them. Lord, I pray you'd move our children and our young people beyond their hurts and into the heart of God and into revival, into awakening. Lord, there's, there's uh, such a need today in our country. It's a need for the gospel, a need for vital churches and and holiness, and strength, and families, and forgiveness, and we so desire you, and so need you, and we welcome you, Lord. Welcome your work in our life. Forgive us for our sins. They are many. We don't appeal to you on the basis of our own goodness and our own righteousness. We appeal to you on the basis of the righteousness and the goodness of your Son, promises of your word that your Spirit would live in us and remind us of what you said and convict us of sin. And we pray you do that even now, uh, today, as we meet in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am in my sixth year of getting to be with you, and, and I have tried to be faithful to labor in the Word of God in prayer, as the Scriptures say, that one of the things that one of the pastors should do is to labor in the Word and doctrine. I'm grateful for you allowing me that. I want to remind you a little bit about some of the things that we have done over the last five or six years in terms of the ministry in the pulpit um, we've had a number of messages that based all based on the Scripture, obviously. Um, some more topically, like better relationships, um, uh, um, angels, demons, God and you. We did a series on that. Uh, a series of rooftop sermons 
That was a, something I'll never forget. I think 14 sermons from the roof. It was fun. Uh, what, a, what, a re, what a memory that was. Um, a series of messages early on I called Treasures from the Heart because I was new. I just wanted to tell you things that I've learned from the Scripture that were treasures to me. Like the Bible says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. I just wanted to share from my heart treasures. There was a series there, a series on the Sermon on the Mount, five Christmas series, if I counted right, or six, something like that. A series called Between the Fires. We kind of wrote a book about that, the kinds of things that we would teach young people at camp and I cheated and borrowed those, and I used them on you, and you were good guinea pigs for that. So thank you for letting me do that. Um, uh, Psalms for the heart, um, building, crafting a holy life, um, gospel optimism that we just did. But, but, but I say that to say that the most of what we did and most of what we intend to do is the Lord allows us to, you know, continue as long as the Lord allows us to continue. And, and I would hope anybody that came after me would do the same thing, is teach through large portions of the Bible. Just take the Bible, open it up, and teach the next chunk. And that's the, that we want to be characterized by that. That's, I just think, and I'm convinced that because of the nature of the Scriptures, because we have the Bible, we should just teach the whole thing. We should just preach the whole thing. And we should say whatever it says, even if the culture doesn't agree. We just say what the Bible says. And, uh, and we shouldn't change the Bible to match what the culture says. We should appeal to the culture to change and repent and follow Jesus. And we should show them what it looks like to change and repent and, and follow Jesus. And so we preach through the book of James and through the book of Titus. We call it the little red book of church. At Christmas time, we preach through the book of Ruth. That was delightful fun for me to do that. We preach through the book of Daniel uh, and um, I should have been paid extra for that. And um, just, just kidding. Um, and preaching the book of Daniel, what a delightful thing that it was to preach through Daniel. And some of that was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And, um, and then we preached through the Revelation, which was what a delight to preach through God's Word, the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. 27 messages in Revelation, not including the chunk at the beginning with the seven churches. So like over 30-some messages just right through the, the Revelation. And we preached through Philippians outdoors. We called it turning about the wheel. But it was just teaching through the book of Philippians outdoors. We taught Jonah. We taught 1 Peter and 2 Peter because we anticipate that we need to be faithful in suffering. We taught Psalm 1, uh, 1 uh, Psalm 78. Uh, that was on the roof as well. We taught through the book of Joel. We taught through Ephesians 1 in a series called Remember Whose You Are and many other Bible-based topical messages. And Lord willing, after the series that we're in right now, which we're informally calling Spokes Papers, which is um, simple ways to help people follow Jesus, how you can help people follow Jesus, and the papers that we're giving out, and there are some in the back, as a matter of fact, let me have a couple of ushers grab the stack of papers in the back and walk to the front and turn around. So if any of you need a spokespaper today, you can get it. Could I get a couple of ushers to do that? Just bring them to the front, turn around, and that way if you need one, you can raise your hand. But we're going through these spokespapers, and what they are is spokes in the Bethel wheel. How to follow Jesus and how to help others follow Jesus. In particular, how to follow Jesus by helping other people follow Jesus. And so this is like super simple. If you've been around for a while, I won't tell you anything today you haven't heard before, but it's just like 
for instance, um, a lady who can, or man for that matter, who can make biscuits well. Or my wife and I were talking about this. She had a grandmother who was a, from Kentucky who really knew how to make cornbread and she made it right every time. And Lois was talking about that. I was salivating. We didn't have any power. It was cold. We were hungry. And she was talking about her grandmother. And we were talking about that, that warm morning. Raise your hand as the guys. Uh, if you need a copy of the spokespapers, it'll make it easy to follow what I'm doing today. Raise your hand. Okay. Anyway, so we were talking about that. If a lady that knows how to make cornbread and she wants to talk about it, I'm fine with that. She says, this is what's in the recipe. I'm fine with that. You say, what's the point of this cornbread story? Same way with this. This is so vital that it's something that we should talk freely about in our families. It's, it's something that you could do. What I'm going to describe today, you could do if you're eight years old. When I was a boy, my dad described something similar to this when I was eight years old. And I was a little talkative, probably you might have guessed, but I was eight years old. And my dad said, you can tell your buddies this. You can take your New Testament and you can show your buddies this. So my dad showed me that. And then I rode my bike over to Steve Strunk's house. And Steve was a kid in the neighborhood. Uh, didn't have a real, real nice house. He was my friend. We set out behind his shed. And I took my little New Testament. And I just said the stuff my dad told me to say. It was probably not all that good. But I just said the stuff my dad told me to say. My mom taught me to teach him. And I showed him in my Bible. And, and Steve, at the, at the time when I told him to, he bowed his head. He prayed a prayer. Was he born again? God only knows. But I will tell you that not long after that, my dad was a student at Xavier University. And he was studying in his master's in education. And he took me along with him. Like, that's how you did back then. You just drag your kids along and let them wander the campus while you were in class. And that's what I was doing, wandering the campus. And I went to my dad's room, and his roommate came back. And his roommate was a college-age young man. And I thought I would try out my thing my dad taught me on my dad's roommate, who was a young, a, young, a very nice, polite young man, college-age. And my dad taught me questions to ask him to kind of open a gospel conversation. So I, I asked him those questions. And I asked him, do you have a Bible? And he said, yes. And I, as a kid, I was thinking I'm eight or nine. And he's probably patronizing me. But, but I noticed he was doing it. So he got his box out of the closet. And he got his Bible out of the box. Um, and he opened it up and, and uh, there. And, and I showed him the Bible verses that my dad showed me and asked him the questions that my parents had taught me. And not long after that, he was praying and, and, and receive Christ. And I said, now, when my dad comes back to him, I thought as a kid, he, he's probably patronizing me because he's a little kid, you know. And, but I thought, but this will be interesting. I'm going to tell him when my dad comes back to the room, tell him what you did, you know. And so I asked him, when my dad comes back to the room, will you tell him what you did? And he said, yes, he's a very sweet guy. Dad comes back to the room and he says, your son, um, show me some Bible verses while you were gone and led me in prayer for salvation. I was like eight or nine years old. Now, was that, was that, was, does that make me Billy Graham? No, I mean, I'm, I'm an unprofitable servant. But I'm just saying, my parents told me to do something and I did it. And I was just a kid and I was kind of hyper and not all that sharp. And so if I could do this, you can too. And God is like that. He'll just take people that are nuts and use them anyway. He will. Most people I know God uses just kind of a little bit off, you know? They are. So are you. You just don't know it yet. You know, we're all a little weird. Anyway, so 
God uses weird people. Praises be unto God. And so you might be the coolest thing ever. Good for you. We need one or two of those cool people on our team. But most of us are just like broken, needy, a little weird. But if you follow the instructions, it's amazing if God will step into that. Matter of fact, I don't mean to go here, but if you, if you, or, but if you watch the Asbury thing, the, uh, the, the, uh, the awakening that happened at Asbury, the, the message that was preached just before it was by a young man who when he got done, he texted his wife and said kind of like, in, he didn't use these words, but he basically said, well, I laid an egg today. You know, I kind of, I, I, I forget the words he used, but it was like, well, I didn't do very well. And if you watch the message, you wouldn't think, oh, that's the message that the fire fell and revival came. You wouldn't have said that. He wouldn't have said that. His last words were a prayer, though. I remember it, watching it, and his last words were, revive us in love. He said, Lord, revive us in love. And he's like, oh, I'm running out of time. I need to quit. Lord, revive us in love. And then testimonies began, and testimonies of confession. And then the thing is, at other universities where their young people are meeting through the night and praying and confessing sin and reading their Bible. I know, are you like me? Do you know any young people that you would like to have, like to know that they are praying through the night? You like me? You like to, are there some young people that you know that you'd like to, that they would turn to the Lord and trust them? <laughs> and, and, and we have an opportunity to show them what it looks like to repent. So, um, I'm wandering about, yet I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just acknowledging I'm wandering about here and trusting that the Lord will use what we're teaching today. But I'm just giving you some simple tools to use to make justification by faith plain to people. So there's this term that we have from the book of Romans in particular, writings of Paul in particular, justified by faith. The word justified is one of those big theology words especially embedded in the book of Romans. You remember a series that we did or messages that we've reminded you of where there are these six big words in Romans, justification, rep uh, propitiation, redemption, imputation, uh, reconciliation, and adoption. That's not too big. But these big words and the stories behind the big words, they're all things that happen the instant someone believes that Jesus died for their sin and they turn and they trust. When you turn from your own righteousness and you trust in Jesus' righteousness that he displayed in his perfect life and death and resurrection, then you pass from death unto life and then justification happens and it immediately, according to the Bible, it happens immediately. That's how the Bible talks about it. Justification happens immediately. And then also redemption happens immediately. It has ongoing implications, but it happens immediately. You're, you're, you're not redeemed and then you are. And propitiation, Jesus absorbs God's just wrath. It happens immediately. And so it is with imputation. Immediately, God's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness is placed on your account. Your sin is placed on his account immediately. Instantaneously is what the Bible teaches that. And so it is reconciliation. You are an enemy of God, then you become a friend of God when you believe that Jesus died and he bore your sins. And so it is with adoption. You become a part of God's family, not after you die faithfully, but you become a guard, part of God's family the moment that you are given the gift of eternal life and you're given the inheritance that you have in Christ. This is what the scriptures teach. Now, 
But the, but the piece of that that we want to help you with is this, because people often have a merit system idea of heaven and hell and God and such. So if you're going to have gospel conversation with people, and this is about, this is the third week we've been talking about tips and tricks and tools to have effective gospel conversation with people that you care about. If, when you talk to people, many of them are going to have an idea that there's a merit system with God that if you're pretty good or sincere, that you'll go to heaven when you die. But if you're bad or insincere, then you will not go to heaven when you die. Or maybe there's another piece that there's a holding place or whatever. This is not what the scriptures teach. Not at all. That's not in your Bible. That is absolutely not in your Bible. What the Bible does teach is justification by faith. And, and you want to be able to have a gospel conversation with somebody, and you want to be able to take them to this idea that you're immediately justified by faith when you're saved. And I want to show you nine steps, if you will, three threes. There's a lot of threes in this series. Have you noticed that? It's a confusing number of threes. But today we'll be clear because what we're going to do is nine things. And, that, and the first thing is three questions you can ask. These are not original to me. Two of these are the same questions my mom and dad taught me to ask people when I was eight years old. And you can ask these powerful questions, diagnostic questions to help figure out where people are at. You can ask your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones at the family reunion, the people that you work with. You get these questions started. It can literally change their lives. Three questions. And then in answer to those questions, three passages of Scripture that are very plain, and a few bonus passages, but three key passages of Scripture, and then three stories to tell. So you're going to ask three questions. So somewhere in your conversation, you have to follow this perfectly like I'm giving it to you, but you can put this in your toolbox and use it when you need it. Somewhere in your conversations with people who are far from God or people that you don't know are close to God, you want to be able to ask these three questions. I'll show you what they are in a minute. You want to be able to show them these three passages of Scripture, and you want to be able to tell them these three stories, which also are passages of scripture, but these three stories, and I'll give you some bonus material. Again, please don't throw money at me today. This will be no extra charge, all right? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this all inside of two hours. So number three, ask, um, ask three questions. And the first question, and this was used as a child, but it was also used in an evangelism program that was powerfully used of God uh, that you're probably familiar with, the Evangelism Explosion uh, program that was used. And these two questions are used in that program, and that is, um, are you, uh, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to be with the Lord? Do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? It's a good question because the Scriptures actually teach that you can know for sure that you're right with God. That's like, for instance, in 1 John 5, 13. I've written these things to you so that you can know that you have eternal life. You ought to be able to know that you have eternal life. So here are the, the three questions, and you can ask other questions to lead people into these questions, depending on where you are in your relationship. You can say, are you interested in talking about the Bible? You can say, did you grow up in church? You can say, so what do you think about Christians and stuff? Or you can, my, one of my favorite questions to ask people this drop in a conversation is, so what do you think about God, Jesus, Bible, heaven, hell, the church, and all of that stuff? I say that. And probably dumb, but I say it. Or, or are, are you a person of faith? I remember Charles Perlos that you saw baptized right here. First thing I said to him, because I suspect that he was, are you a person of faith? He goes, and I really am. And they started walking around the house that I live in right now, showing me icons and things that were precious to him because of his um, Greek heritage and because of his, that he was a man of faith. And, and uh, that was the question I remember asking him. A, a question that people are finding very powerful 
to influence people spiritually. It's like, I pray, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for you about? It's amazing. People often appreciate somebody that will pray for them, even if they're not sure they believe. I heard a guy, last night I was listening to, Lois and I were listening to, uh, Lois was over listening to it, because she's not a fan of James Taylor, but I was listening to a James Taylor autobiography last night. Precious guy, and he says, I am a, what did he say? I'm a jealous agnostic. I don't know that there's a God, but I'm jealous of people who are convinced there is, and there's something to it, he says. Very interesting. Is it interesting you find people and they're on a spiritual journey somewhere and having a conversation with them? Now we're talking about something that really matters. It doesn't really matter if your team wins the pennant or the championship. It doesn't really matter. You're not probably going to remember, but it matters when you're talking to somebody about these things, eternal things. So questions, you can lead into questions, but ask them, if, do, do you know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven? That's a good question to ask people. Another question to ask them, if you were to stand before God and he were to say, why would I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? And this isn't, again, not original with me, but what a wonderful question because you're finding out what people are depending on for their salvation. And you should listen to them, what they say about that. And you should be able to answer that question because people in the Bible could answer that question. This is another question. Up in, the, up in uh, northern Michigan, there's a river that people fly fish. There's a, there's a place called the Holy Waters on the Asabal River where it's designated fly fishing only. If you're caught fishing with something else, I think they throw you in jail or something. But anyway, and it's the, the holy waters, they call it. And you're fly fishing up there. There was a guy up there that developed a, a little a streamer, a little, uh, a little fly that, that simulated a swimming fish, tiny, and he called it a zoo cougar. And it became famous because it caught so many fish up there. And so he was famous at the lodge. People would say, do you have the zoo cougar? And then it'd be like, I need one of those. Because if you fish the zoo cougar, you catch trout. And what I'm going to tell you right now is a very special thing that I learned from an elderly man who was very, very, very faithful to lead many people to Christ. This question he said to me, Phil Garvin was his name, and he was old and trembling when he told me, and he goes, Ken, I'm going to give you a question to ask people. And if you ask him this question, it's a powerful question that will open up an opportunity for the gospel. And he said, here's the question. And I, I kind of listened to him politely. And he says to me, so here's how he said it. He would say, are you under the impression, you remember Phil, the way he would talk, are you under the impression that eternal life is a free gift or is it something you have to earn, he would say. Is eternal life a free gift or is it something you have to earn? Over the years since he's told me that, I've found that to be a powerful question to open up what I'm going to show you here about justification by faith. Ask people, is it a free gift or something you have to earn? Most people will say, well, you definitely would have to earn it. It just seems like you would have to earn it. And that, from that point, then we go to these scriptures. And you go to many, many, many scriptures. These aren't the only places in the Bible that teach us. The entire New Testament teaches, the Old Testament teaches this. But here's one, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Are you familiar with this? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Let's take the question. Okay, so they ask the person the question. Is eternal life a free gift or something you have to earn? And then they say, well, I think you would have to earn. I go, okay, let me show you something from the Bible. And then you tell me what the Bible says. And then I would open up my Bible to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If I feel like they are, if they, I feel like they're a reader and they're comfortable reading publicly, I'll say, hey, read this. You want to you read it? Read it to me. Or, or if I don't think maybe they're comfortable with reading, I'll read it to them. 
but I'll, I'll do it like this. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the, what does it say? It's what? So is it a gift or something you have to earn? According to the Bible, what is it? It's a gift. That's what the Bible says. Isn't that interesting? I often say to people, that's interesting. Because like you just said a minute ago, you have to earn it. But the Bible, <laughs> the Bible says it's a gift. If that's true, this is an amazing thing. Listen, most of your neighbors don't know this. They know you're a Bible-toting Christian and that you go off to church, but they don't know that salvation is a free gift, that Jesus already paid for it. Uh, okay, that's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Not the result of works, lest anyone should boast. In Titus 3, I love this. Titus 3, 3 through 5. You can turn there. You can show people. For we, This is Titus 3, 3 through 5. We ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. I'm not telling you this so that you'll know it. I'm telling you this so you can use it. I mean, I'm assuming you already know it. I'm telling you this. Like, you should be thinking, who can I tell this to? Who can I show this to? Who in my shop could I show this to? Who in my school could I show this to? Who in my family needs to know that salvation is a free gift? What a wonderful thing to tell people. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If Jesus came in order to say, if you work hard enough, you get to go to heaven, that would not be an easy yoke or a light burden, would it? That wouldn't be, we call the gospel good news. Would it be good news if you had to earn your own salvation? It would not be good news. It would not be good news. Here's another one, and this is a powerful one. We have a misprint in the material. It's Romans and chapter 3, not chapter 2. Romans chapter 3, 21. You can read the whole book of Romans. It's pretty awesome. But now the righteousness of God, this is Romans 3, 21. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace. What are the next words? Are you tracking with me? You can tell your grandkids, you can have them come over, you can like show them this in the Bible. You can say, here, sweetie, let me see your Bible. Let's, here, I'm going to give you a highlighter. Highlight this part. Uh, underline the gift part right there. Can you do that? Underline that. Here, let's put a little tab right here. Now, when you go to bed at night, you can get your Bible out. You can look this up right there. It'll say, salvation is a gift that you receive. Is that good news? Any, anybody in the house think that's good news? Oh my goodness, that's good. That's amazing. You get to tell people that. God isn't eager to send them to hell. God isn't eager to judge them. God is eager to have them in his family. And he sent his son to pay the price already. We should go tell people that. This is a really good deal. <laughs> oh, there's no distinction for all who sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of bonus ones. Like, a, 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 I love this. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him as 
righteousness. It's put onto his account, imputed onto his account. Like, you believe, how was Abraham saved? By, he believed and he was saved by faith. You believe, you're saved by faith. You are not saved by works. The Bible does not teach that you're saved by works. The Bible teaches there will be works present in the life of a believer, but the Bible does not say you're saved by works. Over and over it says you're saved by grace through faith. That's the good news people need to hear. And your neighbors, you can get to know them enough that you can, like, even clumsily. You know, if a, if, a, if a hyperactive, irritating little kid can do it when he's 8 or 10 years old, a nice person like you could do that with your friends. But you, you have to, dis, you have, to have, have the skill. So, so um, John 3.16. You can tell people, do you know John 3.16? A lot of people know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever... That's right, believes in him, will not perish but have eternal life. That sounds like heaven to me. Does that sound like heaven to you? Like, like what if you're a teenager and you, started, you decided that you're going to tell the, the people with the locker next to you, the people that are in your, your study hall, that you're going to tell them. I did this in high school. I decided I wanted to tell kids in high school about the Lord. And so um, kind of a girl next to me didn't listen to me. Uh, she was sort of polite, you know. She was like, but she got pregnant. She got pregnant. Um, I think halfway through my senior year, she got pregnant. And, and back then, that was really hard. Uh, people started treating her different. And I befriended her, and, um, and I told her this. And she was so eager to hear it. She was so eager to hear it. Someday your sins are going to weigh you down. Your guilt is going to weigh you down. The shame is going to weigh you down. There are people in your life who are weighed down by guilt and shame. But they don't have to be. Because Jesus, I, I, I got a note this week. Do you think your wife and I, your wife and you would celebrate with my daughter? She's going to have a baby, but she's not married yet. Do you think your wife and you would celebrate with us? Like, we're not about spreading guilt and shame. We're about telling people how to be free from guilt and shame. And we're not without sin for the record. Because, you know, God is listening. And you aren't either. So how sweet is it to think that people that are out there and they're struggling with depression or they're struggling with guilt or they're struggling with shame, you have the answer for depression and guilt and shame. You have the ultimate answer. You have the answer for alcoholism. Yes, you do. You have the answer for depression. I'm not saying that the minute a person gets saved, they're immediately delivered from all of their sin. I'm saying they're delivered from the penalty of their guilt and the promised eternal life, and, and we're, we're on our way back to the world the way God intended for it to be. That's, you get to tell people that. And so there you are. Those are some powerful scriptures, some powerful questions, and some powerful and plain scriptures. Now, you could write those down, and you could mark them in your Bible, and you could show other people those in their Bible, and you could have them mark them in their Bible and go back to them, and that would be powerful. Somebody in your school, I will never talk to you, needs to know that. Somebody's sitting alone in the lunchroom that nobody cares about. You go over and sit down next to them and you can say to God, if you give me a chance, if you give me an opening, I'm going to go through it. If you open a door, I'm going through it. If you help me get my, I got my neighbor's number. That, I didn't have my, one of my neighbor's numbers. And this week, because of the power, he's a good neighbor, and because of the power being down, I was able to get his number from another neighbor. It was kind of cheating, but I did. And then I texted him. And then he texted me right back. He's a really good neighbor. 
And now I'm like, God, got you. Got your number now. Because I, I, I will not let him go off into eternity without knowing about the truth about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Now you think about that. What an exciting thing to think. This is the powerful message that you and I have, that we hold the simple message and we have it. Do our kids believe it? Do our grandkids believe it? Do they know it? Do our neighbors know it? Do they believe it? Who's in your life that God has, is getting ready? God often is getting people ready. I had a lady named Vicki that visited our church, and she visited our church years ago because we have a real estate lady, Ida, who's a real, really good real estate lady in our church, and she had either sold, I think she'd sold or rented a house to Vicki Penyard was her name, and her husband's name was Mark. And she rented a house, and, or I think sold a house to her, and then she invited her to our church, and the lady shows up at our church. And then the next week, she didn't show up. And Ida was a good real estate person. She follows up. Isn't this how it works, Bill? You follow up on your leads. Uh, I'm betting. That's how, how you do that, right? And you make money by following. She says to me, actually, she said it publicly. It was a, you remember that night? You probably don't remember it. She says to me in a public testimony meeting, Pastor, have you seen Vicki? And I had not. <laughs> kind of felt embarrassed. So I kind of go, um... Well, you know, I'll, uh, I, I, uh, you know, kind of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, follow, I'm planning to, you know. And then she says, like a dog with a bone, she says, she's real straightforward. She says, Did you, do you have her address? And I was kind of embarrassed. Anyway, so I'm embarrassed. I, I got to get over there, follow up this lady, visit our church. I didn't visit her. So I went over there, and she had an Alaskan Malibu's. These are huge, scary-looking dogs. I mean, it was as tall as me when it stood up. It's a big dog. I'm not exaggerating. It's a, it's a huge dog. Am I right, Lois? This is, <laughs> they went talk. Okay. They're nice, but, but when they jump up on you, you just feel like you're going to go meet Jesus right then. And so I go over, and I think, I've got to. Ida's going to ask me if I saw Vicky. And so I drive over there, and there's this huge dog, and when he barks, the earth moves, and I get out of my car, and I walk, I think, well, if, if I die here, I die. But I'm not going to go tell Ida I didn't follow up on Vicky. Seriously. And I remember my dad saying, you know, don't let a dog stand between you and doing what God wants you to do. You know, throw yourself on the sword. Go. And I'm like, oh, man. So here's my manhood and everything involved. And so I go in through the gate. This dog g- jumps up on me. And his face is in my face. He's that big. I'm not joking. And I kind of step back, and he falls off the porch. And I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. And I was kind of apologizing. I'm sorry I didn't mean to hurt you. But he was harmless. Anyway, guess what? Vicki and her husband are Christians. They got saved. They still found the Lord. That was years ago. They're still walking with the Lord. Because I'd have bugged me to do what I should have done without her bugging me. They just needed it. They wanted to know the Lord. Same with, I, I started a big list today just to encourage myself because I can get discouraged. One day, I was working with this guy named Phil and trying to encourage him. And I was tired because he was, when people are kind of new or they're not Christians yet, or they're kind of new Christians, they kind of, they're inconsistent about their stuff. And he was inconsistent. And so I was sitting at my desk and I was frustrated with Phil. Phil Theophilus was his name. And I was frustrated with Phil because I spent a lot of time on him and because he wasn't really following through like he ought to. And I remember just thinking, I guess I'll give up on him. Literally, my thoughts were, I guess I will give up on him. Those were my exact thoughts. I remember, I guess I'll just give up on him. 
And when, and when I thought that, my phone rang at the church. And when I picked it up, you know it was Phil, right? And his words were, I just want to call you and tell you, please don't give up. So I didn't give up on Phil, did I? I spent a lot of time with Phil. I called Phil for a year. He was trying to get consistent with his devotion. I called him every morning for a year, didn't I? Five o'clock in the morning, every morning, I called Phil. One day, Lois goes, you stop calling him. He needs to stand up. Oh, two feet. I think she wanted to sleep in, too. And I was, you know, and she needs to stand on his own two feet. And, and uh, you know what's fun? Every once in a while, his daughters grew up to follow the Lord. Phil followed the Lord. He still follows the Lord today. His daughters grew up to follow the Lord. His daughters went to, like, uh, Bible colleges, and they're on Twitter. So every once in a while on my Twitter feed, there's Phil's daughters. And they're like one of them just got, her husband just got called to be a worship pastor in North Carolina. And they're walking the Lord. And I remember that guy called me on the phone and said, don't give up on me. Does somebody in your life need you to not give up on them right now? Somebody in your neighborhood is far from God and they don't even know that God would fill the, gap, the hole that they have in their soul and their heart. And you know the Lord. You can tell them this by telling them these Bible verses. And there are three stories. I tell them the short version. I would be fun to make a sermon out of every one of these beautiful narratives in the Bible. But I'll just refer to them because you know them and, and because we don't want to your stomach to growl louder than my message. So these are the three stories you can tell people. After you say these are three questions and these are three passages, you can say, like in the Bible, there was a guy, the publican and the Pharisee. This is in Luke and 18, 9 through 14. And the, and the Pharisee, who's a religious guy, would say, I'm glad I'm not like the publican. Remember, Jesus made this story up for people that trusted in their own righteousness. And then the, 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 the publican, the sinner, is going, God, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. And the Bible says he went down to his house that day justified. You paying attention? That was like, oh, amen. It didn't say, so that's when he started earning his salvation that day. Not what it said. It doesn't say he started earning his salvation that day. And then he did this and that. The other thing, got confirmed, baptized in catechism and, you know, lit candles and, and picked up people on the bus and taught Sunday school. And then when he died, they got together and decided, okay, let's let this guy in. And that was the Bible said. That day he went down to his house justified. Aren't you glad? That's, that's why it's good news. That's one story. Another story is the thief on the cross. You know the story. Beautiful story. And the Luke passage tells this story. And he's saying to Jesus, he says to his friend, he didn't sin, but we sin. He says to Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. Jesus says, let me think about that. You never went to Sunday school. I'm not sure about you. Right? He didn't say that. That's a pastor trick. We do that. We, what he said? What did he say? What, what were the famous words of Jesus on the cross to the thief that never went to Sunday school, that never went to church, as far as we know, that never got baptized? What did he say? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You're coming to heaven. That's a good story, isn't it? You like that story? <laughs> I, was on the, I was on the porch with my grandson, Cohen. We were telling stories. I said, Cohen, you tell me a story. So he was real shy about it. I wanted to record it. I got it on video. He doesn't like it on a video, but I videoed Cohen telling the story. Sweetest little thing. When he gets to the end of the story, he, he, he looks at me. And I'm not talking because I'm videoing. And he goes, that's a good story, isn't it, Grandpa? Did you like my story? It's a good story, isn't it? 
And I was like, oh, it's a good story. This is a good story. Can you tell stories? Everybody tells stories. Everybody tells stories. You, get, you tell stories about what you care about. You tell stories about what you believe. You tell stories. Some of you more than others. Some of you are better listeners, which is a great thing. You tell stories about what you value. God's people should value this more than anything and tell these stories. You can tell the thief the story of the thief on the cross. You can tell the story of the Philippian jailer. That's an amazing story. The whole story is amazing. But you remember what happened toward the end. It's in Acts 16, 31. There's a midnight in the jail. Paul and Silas are singing hymns. There's earthquake. Jail opens up. The, sailor, the, the Philippian jailer decides he's going to fall on his sword because he's neglected his duty. He says to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, you start by going to church, right? That's what they said. And then memorize some stuff. And then maybe take a Sunday school class, help the little ladies across the street. I'm being silly. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That night, they, he takes them home. They tell that to his wife and his kids. They believe and they get baptized that night. They believe and they're baptized, saved and they're baptized that night. That's story number three. Pharisee and the publican, thief on the cross, Philippian jailer. Who are you going to tell? Who are you going to tell? You could ask him, would you like to trust Jesus alone for your salvation? Here's what I believe that God showed me as I was praying about this. Um, I was out, I was walking in the church and stood by the door and a while ago and I was a little discouraged, you know, because I think that Satan wants you to be discouraged and kind of give up and and not keep being obedient to the Lord. He wants you to think it won't work, or it doesn't matter, or people will reject you, or it's, you know, whatever reasons. And there was a boy walking by, a young, young boy walked, walked by, out by the road. I felt like the Lord said, you just need to tell more people. Just tell more people. You want more crops, sow more seed. Tell more people. Just tell more people. And then there's like, tell the people to tell more people. It's that simple. It really is, isn't it? I don't want to be crass, but for a while when I was trying to make some money, when Lois and I first got married, I was a salesman. Not a really honorable salesman. It was kind of like a huckster uh, salesman. There's a level of sales that's not really, really high. It was just kind of like hustle. I was just hustling. It was honest, but it was just hustling, you know. So I was hustling. I was having this job hustling a thing. I won't tell you what it is unless you ask me later, but I was just hustling this thing. <laughs> okay, it was cemetery property. And, and, and I, would, I would sell people cemetery property. So here I am now with, I know Jesus, and I'm talking with people, and it takes two hours to present this presentation they taught me. And, and if, if the people are weak, you can wear them down and get them to borrow money to buy this stuff. This is kind of the way it worked. And I noticed the people that were weak would buy, and I'd feel almost bad they did. And then I would go home, and I'd get in bed, and Lois would say, how'd you do? I'm like, I made a sale, but I'm not sure I feel good about it, you know. And, and I'm like, oh, you know. It's like, but I'd spend two hours talking with them about death. One night I was sitting outside somebody's house getting ready to go in, waiting for them to come home so I could pounce on them. I mean, so I could present it to them. And I thought the Lord said, look, you just go talk to people about life and death, and I'll take care of you. And he's done that, hasn't he? And I haven't been faithful as I could have been. 
But what would happen if God's people had a renewal of that and just said, you know what? God, you help me. I'm going to need help because of my weaknesses. But I want to make you known. How wonderful would that be? I think it would be just wonderful. We're happy to have Neil Vite back. He, he, he and his wife got to take a little break and go to Florida. But he's, a, he's a dear to us, and we've asked him today to ask a blessing on you. After the service,